Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. Grab a cup of coffee and join Colleen Tinker and Nikki Stevenson as they discuss their life after Adventism. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. I'm Colleen Tinker. And I'm Nikki Stevenson. 18th Annual FAF Conference, Nikki. Here we are. (laughs) We're so glad you guys came in person. Thank you. So I have a question for you. What was your biggest surprise about God's love when you left Adventism? Well, it took time for all of that to unfold for me, learning a right doctrine of God and his love. And that was something I really actively pursued because I did not understand. I knew God loved me. Sure. But I knew it here. Yeah. I I didn't know it in my heart. And so... I think one of the things that really helped me was understanding the doctrine of divine simplicity. Tell us about that, because I didn't understand that either. I mean, just tell us how that helped you with God's love. Okay, so Caspars or others could explain it better. But the way I understand it is that God is the sum of all of his attributes, He's not in parts, so you can't pull apart different things and absolutize them without... I love what you said in your last talk, Casper, is that whenever you add something, you take away from something. And so in Adventism, God is love. That's what they say. We have the love of God. He doesn't put anyone in hell. And he's so good. Yeah, he's nice. He's benevolent. He's yeah. And actually, Great. even outside of Adventism, the liberal world really... Yes you know, presents him that way. But understanding that God's justice and his mercy and even the way that the Father disciplines us, all of this is an expression of love and the whole issue of hell and understanding that God's punishment of the wicked is love and starting to really just press into what does scripture say about God and unpacking what I thought about God as an Adventist all of the sudden, all of these, like, I'm going to sound like Ellen right now, but these beams of light come shooting out of scripture (laughs) and just highlight the love of God everywhere. And when I understood that I can't elicit more love from God and I can't push away his love for me, that it's not in my hands or up to me, it changed everything about how I understood him and what love period is. Yeah. What about you? Well, like you, I understood that God loved me, whatever. (laughs) I even heard once or twice, especially later in my Adventism, that God sent Jesus because he loved us. But none of that made a lot of sense because the whole sacrifice of Jesus was nebulous to me. I understood that he died for my sins. And, you know, I actually have a lot of sympathy and find myself almost sucked in when an Adventist, as recently happened to me, says, um, oh, I know the gospel. Jesus died for my sins, and I've accepted him, and I can't lose that. And... um, Yeah, I might have said that as an Adventist. Definitely, he died for my sins. But you know what I didn't understand was that whole flip side of God's discipline. Even though I had read Hebrews, yeah, I I knew he disciplined. But there there was a way in which I didn't understand his discipline. For example, I remember the shock I had in 
just unpacking Adventism and just reading things in the Bible that I had read before and realizing one day that God actually killed people in the flood. Now, I had been taught that God doesn't do that. God doesn't kill the wicked. God doesn't, you know, they choose their fate. They choose to die rather than to be with him. And I realized that the Bible was pretty clear that God judged the world and killed the wicked. (laughs) I'm thinking, okay, that is not how I understood God's love. But I remember when we were having a discussion in a women's um, ministry table leaders meeting one year, many years ago, shortly after we left Adventism. And Elizabeth was teaching through, um, it must have been First Corinthians, but anyway, she was talking about hell. And, and I remember saying, venturing, you know, the little newbie Christian in the group saying, you know, I didn't used to believe in hell. And when I finally understood that there was a hell, it was actually a relief to me. And the women in the room went, (gasps) (laughs) and I, and I thought I've kind of stepped in it. And yet I still say that given the background that we had and given the understanding that God actually does have justice is a tremendous relief to me. And I I still am a bit at a loss to explain it, but I understand it better now. Well, the images that we saw in Kaspar's talk on annihilation isn't love, they they help explain that because I relate to that. Right. That God has justice and he cares about us when we are sinned against and Right. He'll take care of it. Vengeance is mine. We get to give that to him. And it surprises me how many times in the Bible God reminds us, vengeance is mine, leave room for the wrath of God, and similar kinds of statements. So, Nikki, as you think about this, as you think about what you now are beginning to understand about God's love, how does that affect the way you see relationships? Because this business of relationships is a really big deal when people start to question and leave Adventism. There's so much fallout. There really is. And, you know, it's interesting. In in one of our breakouts that we did here at the conference, we talked about, you know, we asked people, how did you understand God's love in Adventism? And we started the conversation talking about how we thought God loved us. And a lot of us felt that if we behaved, Mm -hmm. he loved us. We felt his love. We experienced his love. If we disobeyed, he removed his love. Yeah, and it was hard for me on Friday nights when I'd finish the floors after sundown. (laughs) I mean, I really did agonize over that. I think Richard did too. Sorry, Richard. (laughs) But then the conversation, as we talked, it moved into how other people loved in Adventism. And it was an interesting thing to watch because we see that in scripture. We love because he first loves us or loved us, right? And so when we begin to understand what it is to know God, to be loved by God, to love God, it's natural progression even in the epistles. Now we're going to turn around and talk about how do we love others? And that was something I had to unpack. And I'm still working on it. I'm still unpacking it because we had all of these rules that weren't spoken in Adventism. That's very true. There was a lot of subtext about how you do relationships. <laughs> and it kind of all distilled into you go into public and you keep the family looking good. Well, the family, 
And almost anybody you were in relationship with, right? right? Whether or not you were responsible to make them look good, you certainly didn't uh, offend them. You didn't speak, you didn't speak truthfully all the time. If it it was hard, you didn't dare. No. So you would kind of go deal with that on your own, you know, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) And, and yet scripture calls us to come and go to our brothers and our sisters that we have issues with, right. And to talk to them about it. Well, that's hard. How do you do that? And so learning how to love the way scripture tells us to love has has just kind of thrown me into the wall of how I used to understand mm-hmm. love and loving others. And a big part of that was, was learning boundaries. Am I the only one? Did any of you former Adventists experience relationships like this? I see one Do person. That's <laughs> my person. Our brave friend here in the front. <laughs> she raised her hand. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we didn't, I mean, maybe, other people did. I never attended an Adventist church that did church discipline. I didn't see how conflict was handled in Adventism. It was cover it up. You know, we don't do support groups. Maybe they do now. They didn't when I was there. We don't, we don't pray about anything like really vulnerable unless it's someone else's vulnerable news. Right. 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 So I don't know. I, am I answering your question? Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think uh, as, I, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking two things. One was one of the biggest paradigm shifts I had in my very early days, right when we put our boys in um, Arrowhead Christian Academy instead of Loma Linda Academy, <clears throat> and, and they sent out a, a volunteer thing for the parents, and one of the options was to be a part of Moms in Touch, which is an international thing, but this, you know, ACA had a little chapter of Moms in Touch, which is a, I think it was a weekly prayer meeting of moms who would get together and pray for the school. I thought, I can do this. So I went to my Moms in Touch group, and as I went, these women completely shocked me because they prayed about real issues. (laughs) They didn't just pray, you know, that God would bless the school and provide the money. And, you know, they, I mean, all the, the, the moment I remember so clearly, I've said this before, but it still stands in my mind as a beacon of the difference was the mom who's going, Oh Lord, I just want to thank you that my son was caught cheating on his Bible test. You know, I have always asked you if my children sin, that you will confront them with their sin and help them repent. And I want to thank you that he was caught. And I opened my eyes like this, you know, and I looked at her and the other women were just going, yes, Lord, yes. is real prayer. <laughs> and that requires trust. Yes. And you know what? None of us would have betrayed those wo- I wouldn't have betrayed those women. They wouldn't have betrayed me. It was the most amazing moment. Yeah. Anyway, the vulnerability of truth. Now that was one thing. But that that dovetails with the other thing that is something that's become a big reality in my head and that is as we often say at our Bible study on Friday nights, it's really important to remember that all these commands in the New Testament are written to believers. They're not written to unbelievers. And as an Adventist, 
I read all of these commands that Paul wrote to the churches as the way I was supposed to act in order to be saved. Me too. And so now that I see that there's really one command for an unbeliever, and that is to trust and believe in Jesus, all this other stuff makes more sense. So those behaviors, that's stemming from a complete misconception of of love, those the ways we acted in Adventism, protecting everybody with a false sense of righteousness. It reminds me of the verse in, is it Second Timothy, where Paul says, he's, he's describing godlessness in the last days, and he talks about having the appearance of, is it religious? Religion? Uh-huh. Faith? Godliness. Godliness, thank mm-hmm. you. I need to drink my coffee. Yeah, have a sip. But denying its power. And so when you're when you're praying for God or thanking God for exposing your kids cheating on a test, you're not doing that to sound moral, I hope. You're doing it because no. you know the God of the universe is at work yeah. in your child's life and you're trusting him with your most valued treasure. Yeah. You're trusting him yeah, with that. With your That's heart. That's believing in the power of God. Mm-hmm. That's hard to do, even as a believer. Yeah. And doing that together and being vulnerable together is trusting him with that. So, you know, I was thinking, as, as I've been thinking about this and preparing for this weekend and thinking about God's love exposed, I was thinking, how are some of the ways that I misunderstood God's love in Adventism? How did that trickle down? into how I related to people. Mm -hmm. And I have a little list. Please. I love your lists, Nikki. (laughs) Well, I don't know if they'll be relatable, but but this is kind of what I had in mind. So I felt responsible for things that were outside of my control. And I I thought, how, how did that play out in my understanding of God? Yeah. Well, I was taught that we are responsible to vindicate God. To a watching universe. Mm-hmm. We helped Jesus win that great controversy. Yeah, and that and that trickled down into we have a responsibility to make Adventism look good. Absolutely. So that oh, played absolutely. out there. You know, if you talk to someone who wasn't an Adventist, and aren't you guys the ones that don't watch TV on Friday? Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have pepperoni, right? And it's embarrassing, and you get into well, I've got to, I've got to fix this. I've got to mm-hmm. make us not look so weird. PR. Yes. Do a little PR. Yeah. yeah. But but it, it also translated into family relationships. And, and I thank God that I left Adventism while my children were so young. Because I know so many mothers who believed it was their job to get their children saved. Well, Ellen said it was that if our children weren't there when Jesus came, if they weren't in the fold, he would look at them with sorrowful eyes at the parents and go, where is thy flock, thy beautiful flock? So there was guilt. That breaks my heart when I think yeah. about how many mothers have oh, agonized yeah. over that and Absolutely. still do. That's not in our control. Mm-mm. Believing that we had to reform all of Christianity so Jesus could come back. That yes, was outside of that's our control. That's the gospel that had to go to the world. That means you tell everyone you can about the Sabbath. And then there's you know the small task of getting yourself saved and keeping yourself saved. I also said that Jesus died for my sins yes. on the cross. But that was like he handed me a key. I had to hike through life to right. find the door and unlock it and walk through it. 
Yeah, yeah. The accepting Jesus was the key. If you yeah. didn't accept him, you had no chance. If you accepted him, you had a chance. Right. And I, I can't remember who said it, but goodness, it might have been John MacArthur. Or he was quoting someone else, but he said that if you can lose your salvation, you will. Yes, that is so true. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, that is so true. And I knew that. Uh-huh. So then there was this whole issue of love not setting limits. Mm-hmm. You know, if if mm-hmm. there's no hell, there's... I know there was the lake of fire, but I think I had a special gift of suppressing things I didn't want to think about. I didn't well, think I about just that. I'd burn quick. Well, and I just thought I think it was the progressive Adventism yeah. that led, led me to believe, as long as we're sincere and we do our best. I don't think very many people are really going to burn Hitler. Yeah, sure. But our God is a God who, from the Book of Genesis, He sets limits. Because yeah, he loves. <laughs> well, there was the flood and the fact that he didn't let Adam and Eve back in the garden. Right. right. Okay, so the whole idea of God being a benevolent God who really just wants you to do your best and isn't concerned with your nature. You know, it's a little bit like that little phrase, we do our best, God does the rest, Right. Yeah, so yeah. then when you think that way, forgiveness is now abstracted from repentance. Oh, that repentance bit was something I did not understand. I mean, I understand the wor- words, and I knew that Adventism said repentance is repentance is a change of mind, a turning away from. So, you know, you could intellectualize that, but I didn't understand that accepting Jesus was connected with giving up my right to make excuses for myself in every area. Mm-hmm. Owning, <clears throat> belly up, my sin. Yeah. I, Even the sins that I contemplated and didn't actually carry out, but stewed about. Yeah, I didn't understand that. Didn't know how to do that. It was too threatening. And then there was the the feeling obligated to forgive freely with no protection from being sinned against, right. no, no expecting repentance. You know, I think of there's something flying around my face. Oh. <laughs> I think of, I think of some of the teachers and the pastors who were caught in in unrepentant sin, and they were just moved to a different school. <laughs> grace, that's grace. Yeah, you know, I case in point. I'll never forget as an Adventist my kind of well. Shock, I guess. I was very young, you know, like 20. And um, we had a new teacher in our department. And um, the very next year, we had another new teacher in our department. And I worked in the department. And I walked in on these two and uh, found out that um, they had actually, the first teacher had been moved because he'd had an inappropriate relationship with that second teacher. But then that second teacher was just moved to the same school and they continued. And it was like, something's wrong with this picture. But that was not, that was not an unusual situation. No, that's not a one-off. No. And, and I know this happens in the world and I know it happens in other institutions but it's so consistent with yeah. the cover high, don't be vulnerable, Yeah, you know, look good. And then we move into, you know, what I already mentioned, love must be elicited. I felt so vindicated in that breakout. So many of us 
felt that way. How many of you believed we could grieve away the Holy Spirit? Ellen White added that word, away. If you go on the Ellen White website where you can get her quotes and you you search grieve away, you're going to find it all over the place because we were taught that if we sinned, we grieve away the Holy Spirit. He leaves us, but that's not the context of the passage. Here's the verse, Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There's no away in there. And let me just point out, this is being written to Christians, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's a permanent, definite, we belong to God. That's the new birth. This is not saying that our sin will grieve away the Holy Spirit. This is saying that the Holy Spirit is in us permanently, and when we sin, we grieve him because he goes with us into our sin. So a text that talks about that security, which was given to us by the love of God on the cross, it was used to say, hey, you blow it. He's gone. I mean, it was bad enough leaving the angels at the door. Oh, yeah. I know. So I know I would move through my life as an Adventist feeling like if I... If I'm not feeling close to God right now, it's probably because I'm sinning. I need to figure out how I'm sinning so right. that I can get him back because I don't, I don't, I don't want to burn. Right. Or, it was all tied into salvation for me. Always. Yeah. I like your list. Oh, well, thank you. But, but I think that it's, it's a, a really important thing. Like Gary said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it, it turns into how you interact with, and that's not the only reason, but it it affects how you interact with others, how you love others, what you do with God's word and his commands. Yeah. It's life-changing. Well, I remember the night. I have a lot of these moments as we came out of Adventism where there is a moment like a snapshot in my mind. I remember this particular one where, um, okay, I'll just give the background. We had been, because we were experiencing some, a lot of discussion in our area, both in the church we were attending and in online discussions with former Adventists, about the Holy Spirit and his manifestations and signs and wonders. So actually, Richard and I decided that for the full rounding out of our education, we would go to a class at a kind of a distant, we had to drive up into the mountains, a little distant charismatic church that was offering like a six-week class on the Holy Spirit. And um, it was nothing that we had ever felt comfortable with, but we thought we can't even address this if we don't know how they teach it. So we drove up once a week to this class. We had a little workbook. We had the little, and it's like, hmm. Anyway, so this one particular night, um, as we drove back down the mountain, We had been challenged at this class to ask God to give us the gift of tongues. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying people who speak in tongues are doing something bad. I'm not making a judgment call on that. I have opinions about this. If you want, I can talk to you later if you want more of my opinion, but that's not my point. My point was we were thinking, okay, we have trusted God so far. We know what his word says. We know how he's dealt in our lives. We can trust him. We'll just, we'll, we'll ask him. So, you know, 
we went into individual places in the house, and I can remember asking God to show me what was real about this and what he wanted for me. And, you know, that was an amazing night because it was really had nothing to do with tongues. That, that didn't happen. But you know what did happen? As I was praying and asking God to show me what he wanted me to know, this passage in Romans 8 came to my mind where it says that we are adopted by the Father and that the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God and in our heart he teaches us to cry, Abba, Father. Well, that is what I couldn't, that came into my mind so strongly, I, I couldn't get away from it. And I was thinking about the words, I went and looked up the passage, and I realized something that night that has never left me, and that was that God actually wanted me to think of him as my father. Now, by this time, my real father was dead. He'd been a very good man, but he'd been an emotionally distant but he always knew he was proud of me, but he wasn't somebody I could just go to and talk to easily. But he was a man of integrity. He, he was an honest man, and he, he taught me integrity and honesty and to be true to what you believed. But, but when I realized that God was saying, I'm your father, and you need to think of me that way, it's here in my word, I realized that he was confirming to me that his word was from him and that I had to trust him. And now that has trickled down into a lot of things in relationships, which might seem odd, but what that actually did for me was give me the permission over the years when I find myself stumped or feeling threatened or unsure of how to proceed. I, I actually think about that. He's my father. And he wants me to trust him, and I can actually sometimes stop when I'm about to do something verbally inappropriate or whatever and say, please take care of me. I don't know what to do in this situation. Help me to honor you. And um, I can't always tell you that there's like a blazing insight of what I'm supposed to do, but it calms me, and I actually know he's got me. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of changes the course of where I would go, mm -hmm. <laughs> left to myself. Mm -hmm. That was huge for me, knowing that God wants me to treat him as a father. I love that, that what came to your mind was scripture. It was. This, it was. This book I've talked about a little bit this weekend that I've been reading by D.A. Carson on the difficult doctrine of love, he talks about the fact that we, we want a personal relationship with him. We long for that, and we can get... Um, I'm, I'm very much summarizing my interpretation of what he wrote. You'll have to read it to get it right. But he talks about how we long for experience and, and um, sentimental love or whatever it is that, that we're after. And for us in our finite state, when we have personal relationships, we have conversations. I ask you questions, you ask me questions. He said, I rebuke you, you rebuke me. <laughs> we don't do a lot of that, do we? <laughs> but, but we have this back and forth. Mm -hmm. And he said, our God is a very personal God yeah. in the pages of Scripture. Yes. In the Gospels, 
in the epistles and the words that he gave us, we see his humanity. We see his relating. We see him revealing himself to us. And I can't tell you how many times, because we've often said when we come to see and know the truth about God, <laughs> it seems like he then takes us down this path of knowing the truth about ourselves. Yeah, he does. And for me, that that took me to a very difficult place. I had a, a, a dark time of depression. And I would pray for God to take it away or to comfort me, just comfort me. And I'd wait, you know, my cat would jump on my bed and I'd be like, that's it. You know, my right. cat's here to <laughs> no, I, I wanted no raise of relief. Light, Nikki. No, no, no. But you know what it was for me? It was scripture. Yeah. I was washing my dishes and I had spent, I want to say a good year asking him, why did you let me go through all those things? Why, you know, you, you, you love me. You saved me. I'm pretty sure <laughs> because I was so confused. I did something wrong. Maybe he left me. I don't know. I knew he hadn't, but that Adventism is there, you yeah. know? And, and so why, why, why did you make me suffer? You're going to use it. How are you going to use it? All I do is wash dishes all day. And all of a sudden, the thought that came to me was of Christ in the garden. Mm -hmm. He chose to suffer. Mm -hmm. I didn't choose it. I didn't want it. I asked him why he did it. If you love me, why are you making me suffer? But he came here and he chose to suffer far more than I ever had to choose me yeah. because he loved me. And I just, I stopped washing dishes and I just started crying and I never questioned his love for me again because the very thing I was mad at him for making me go through, he had chosen to go through far worse for me. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. I wouldn't have done that for anyone. It was overwhelming, but it was scripture. Yeah. It wasn't, a hug. <laughs> right. You know, well, it, it, exactly. it wasn't here. Let me take that from you. Right. It was just scripture. It has been that for me too. In fact, I felt like the biggest thing that God has done for me in leaving Adventism, besides, you know, just the fact that he saved me, is that he's given me his word. And his word, um, I never come to the end of it. It's amazing. It's a love letter. Yeah. And it's um, knowledge. And it's insight and it has application to my life and I've learned that the relationships that I have are gifts from him it's his will that we're here together it's his will when I lived who my parents were who my sister is it's his will that I was born into Adventism and it was his plan for me and it was his plan for me to come out with Richard. Like I've said before, I don't know if I could have done that on my own. I mean, if, he, if, if I had been convicted and he wasn't, I don't know. But he, Richard, and I came out to, that was God's will. And it's his will for me that I learn to react to him according to his will when I'm interacting with the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ that he has given me. And that isn't always easy. Mm -mm. I'm not easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're so cute. <laughs> so, but you're right. It's, his, it's reacting to him that makes relationships durable. 
Yeah, and we can't do that unless we know him. So I'm having a reaction. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the other things that, um, that was helpful to me to read about was this sentimentalizing of God's love with, with this picture that Jesus is my friend. Yeah. And you talked about oh, that a little yes. bit in the art. And there's uh, no place in scripture that says Jesus is my friend. No. But he does call us his yes. friend. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that, that D.A. Carson, and I've heard Gary use this example as well, the way he kind of fleshes that out. He said, um, oh, I'm going to get my army ranking messed up. He talked about, uh, was it a general? Could have been. A high-ranking guy <laughs> in the army. He says to a lower-ranking guy, go get the Hummer. I need you to take me into town. And so he goes and he gets the Hummer and he takes him into town out of obedience. But then you have this high-ranking man who knows the young man. They're family friends. He watched him grow up. And he goes to him and he says, I need you to go get the Hummer for me and take me into town. I have a meeting. We're going to be there for a few hours. You can use the Hummer. Make sure you're back in time to get me and we'll come back. He's still an authority, but he's revealing the plan. He's revealing, he's giving him knowledge. He's giving him information he doesn't owe him, but he's giving it to him. It's a different kind of relationship, but he's mm-hmm. still... It's a trust. Yeah. And, it, and so Christ is our Lord, and we never want to forget that. And it's easy to forget that with our past. Isn't, is, I mean, mm-hmm. it is for me. Well, it is. Because for me, in Adventism, Jesus wasn't, to me, the Lord Jesus. I'd never really heard that phrase, the Lord Jesus. I mean, I guess I'd read it. But he was cringy Jesus once I got to a certain age. You know, it was like if I had to talk about him, I would talk about Christ. But um, the name Jesus was uncomfortable, a little icky, and um, it didn't It didn't ever dawn on me that he was God Almighty, my authority, my Savior, even though I could have told you some of those words. And I know, I know if an Adventist were to hear me talking right now, they'd go, well, I know he's my Savior. Well, I know he's my Lord, and I want to say, good. I hope that's actually true, but I know I would have said that, that I knew that too, but I didn't know him. Yeah. So, yes, the fact that he knows me, I know him, not as well as he knows me, like Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, but he knows me, and he, he has brought me into his body and he gives me information that those outside don't have. In his and word. it's in his word. He entrusts us with his word. And you know, most of you, I've heard many of you say, all of a sudden the Bible makes sense. That is the Lord Jesus giving us his family information. That's love. That's love. Yeah. And it feels like love to me. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's not a. It's I've heard people talk about God as Lord being, you know, why do you want to be? Why do you want to be a slave to someone? You know, what kind of a God needs you to be a slave? But you know, when you look at at the nature of God, God is love, and Jesus reveals that love in Scripture when He talks about the love He's always had with the Father, and in the relationship between the Father and the Son, Jesus 
only does what the father tells him to do. Mm-hmm. He submits to the father. That's his role. That's his. Mm-hmm. So then Jesus turns around and says, as my father has loved me, so I love you. Yeah. And then he says, don't freak out. If you love me, keep my commandments. But that's the intra-Trinitarian love. Mm-hmm. And he says that, that just as he and the father are one, you know, they come and make their home with us. Yeah. It's a really special kind of love that I can't articulate. Right. You but have a, a passage. It's in John 17. Yeah. But I, I have to find the verse. Oh, I'm sorry. So this is where if we were recording at, at, in our little house studio, we would go, sorry, oh, Richard. Sorry, Richard. We've got to look for the passage. And then we take a little time and do that. But we're live. <laughs> you don't have our editor. So I don't have the actual verse here. Okay. Um, you said John 17. Everyone can look it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here we go. I think this is it. 20. Starting with 20. I do not ask. This is Jesus praying on the night before he was crucified. Well, actually, <laughs> sorry, I'll back up a little bit more. Sanctify them by the truth. Verse 17, your word is truth. That's this, you guys. As you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. For their sake, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. I love this passage right here. But for those also who believe in me through their word. So he's praying to the Father in front of his disciples about his disciples. And he's saying, I'm not just praying for these, these 11, it was then, who are with me, but for all of those that includes us who believe in me through their word. That's the New Testament, you guys. We believe in Jesus because of the disciples' faithfulness to speak God's word and to put it down, and God has preserved it for us. So, the glory which you have given me, oh, I'm sorry, I left out a a verse here, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, now you see if you can figure this out, are in me, and I in you, that they that's us who believe, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. That's our purpose. And when we're one in him, you know, we will have abrasions as we bump up against one another in the body of Christ, but the fact is we're related in a profound way through the blood of Christ, And it's a closer relationship than mere physical blood. As close as that is, as important as that is. But the body of Christ is eternal, you guys. (laughs) We will always be together. And that's what we go back to when we do bump into each other. We go back to the scriptures and we remember who we are to each other Mm -hmm. and what God expects of us. It's a whole different set of family rules. It is. Because we have a Father who loves us, a Savior who died for us, and who has forever... Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus has forever identified with his creation by taking a human body? It's an amazing thing. I don't, I don't know how to think about it because I can't take it out to what it fully means. But it is really remarkable to me that 
you know, he has promised that in the resurrection we will be glorified, we will have new bodies, and we know by looking at the story of how Jesus was resurrected and how he walked on the earth and was ascended to the Father, we know in the words of Elizabeth Inrig, as Jesus goes, so go we. We know that. But the fact is, we will be glorified, but he will forever have those scars. We will always know why we are there. We will always remember this is because our creator, our eternal almighty God creator, identified with us. It's it's amazing. And took our sin. Yeah. So, we are going to see if any of you have questions about any topic. And you know what? I'm going to start this because I had a really good question from my friend Lori last night. And I said, let's ask Paul Carden together tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Where's Paul? And that was related to Adventist art and Christian art. And I had mentioned about our trip to Loma Linda where you looked at the pictures on the wall and said, this isn't Christian art. And I had had the question too, well, why not? And Laurie had asked last night, what's the difference between cultic art and Christian art? And I said, well, let's ask Paul. <laughs> Do you mind just commenting? I, I mean, yeah, I feel so well prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Having well, we thought won't. about this for 3.72 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> <clears throat> so, no, I'll tell you what I observed about Adventist art at the time. I'm trying to go back. Jesus was a bystander. Jesus was not in the foreground. He wasn't necessarily superintending. He was gazing onward in interest. He was, uh, you know, somehow supplemental to whatever the theme of of the image was. Uh, he, He wasn't it just consistently, and I wish I could fish up some of the specific images in my mind. You know, he he was definitely a companion. A companion. Uh, he, he, yeah. he was a he was a friendly presence, but uh, but I mean, it could might just as well have been Richard standing next to him. <laughs> you know, whoever was in the scene, right, looking on. You know, with 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 a mildly pleased expression. Yes. Uh, so, so it was kind of a, a, it kind of diminished Jesus. He was too ordinary. That makes uh, sense to me now. It, it, I mean, on the one hand, I, I can imagine Jesus being, you know, them them wanting to say Jesus is not so remote that he's you know you, you live your life without him. You know, he he's he's almost. An abstraction. Mm-hmm. No, this was a Jesus who was very close, but sort of an accessory to, to whatever was going on. I don't remember using the words, this is not Christian art. Well, you know, I but, may have just remembered it wrong, Paul. It just had an impact okay. on me. Yeah, but, but, but the effect was basically that yeah. if, if, if you showed me a gallery, you know, kind of a night gallery of, uh, you know, 10 classic uh, Adventist images, it might come to me more easily. Okay. One thing I have, I want to say, and I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, you Christians who've never had a background like ours, but my sense is that in Christianity, people tend not to portray Jesus that much in general. Okay, question. 
I just wanted to say something. You know, we've talked before about you say something, it sends me off into another thought. And, <laughs> and you were talking about grieving the Holy Spirit. My thought was you can't grieve a force. That's a good oh, point. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. That was a dichotomy, wasn't it? Grieve away the force of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. that doesn't work. That's too logical. Yeah. <laughs> good point, Beverly. Any other questions? Looks like her work here is done. No, he's, he's running. <laughs> oh, he's running. Okay. Uh, earlier in the talk, you had mentioned speaking in tongues, uh-huh. and I was wondering if you could go more into depth about that, or more so, uh, yeah. Well, I will say, in general, it is not a biblical requirement. Um, it was a mark of Pentecost. It was a mark of the three, if you want to call it, the three moments of Pentecost, Jerusalem with the Jews, Samaritans in Acts 8, Gentiles in Acts 10, and the point seemed to be that the Holy Spirit came on all three people groups in exactly the same way, the Jews who had kept the law, the Samaritans who had been kind of quasi-pagan, quasi-Jewish, mostly pagan, and the Gentiles who had no connection with Jewish law, and they were all saved in exactly the same way, and it was the mark of the gospel. And there's no command and there's no consistent accounting in scripture of people having to speak in tongues when they are saved. It's um, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 talk about it and say if there are tongues, they have to be carried out in a certain way and there has to be an interpreter. Between that and the stories in Acts, it seems to have to do with language with the ability to communicate the gospel to people who maybe don't understand each other. And here's the thing. For me, that is the most amazing part of the Acts story of the tongues. Do you remember what happened at Babel? Mm-hmm. When Babel. Oh, <laughs> I'm betraying my former Adventism. <laughs> Christians look at me and go, Babel? Babel. <laughs> anyway, um, what happened there was that the people following the flood refused to obey God and move into the earth and fill it. And they said, let's build a tower here on the plain of Shinar, where Babylon is now, and make a name for ourselves. Make a name for ourselves. And God looked down and said, if we don't stop them, there's nothing that they won't be able to accomplish. And he went down and confounded their languages, and that split up the accumulation of people, and it began the distribution of the nations of the world so that people divided themselves into language groups. Well, can you imagine the confusion of of people who were preparing who knows what, but they had all kinds of knowledge, and suddenly there's this knowledge is broken up by language barriers. So, you know, this group over here is just maybe really excellent in metallurgy, and this group over here is maybe really excellent in biochemistry, and they they can't collaborate. I mean, it really broke up the world. So that was God's judgment on their sin 
but it had a secondary effect as well. Well, I don't think it was secondary. It had a simultaneous concurrent effect. It was also God's blessing because it kept humanity from multiplying its evil to the point where they could have wiped themselves out, and it accomplished his purpose of filling the earth, which they weren't doing on their own. So it was his judgment, but it was also his protection. Fast forward to Pentecost with the coming of Jesus, the gospel, the finished atonement, the Holy Spirit being poured out on those who believe. That's the reverse of Pentecost. I mean, that's the reverse of Babel. Pentecost was the reverse of Babel. The gift of God to the church is that he gives us the ability in his will, in his way, for his purpose, for his glory, to communicate truth, even to people we can't understand. And, you know, there's various times when that may happen. I mean, we don't always need to do that. We have publishing now in languages that wasn't available then, but God still can do that. And I see that as the primary thing. It's, it's, it's God's judgment. It's God's blessing. It's a reversal of a curse. I got a question. Uh, do you have an outline that you look at? Uh, here's the direction we're going to do the podcast theme-wise <laughs> for the whole year. Um, or do you sort of pray and God inspires you and <laughs> you come up with a topic and you run with it? Well, podcast by podcast, we prepare for each of our recordings separately. And then we come together over coffee with Richard, and we'll talk about what we're, we're going to talk about that day that we record. And then we just kind of go in and wing it. And Richard usually edits, what, two times as long as we record? Three, four? Depends on four times. Yeah. Um, he takes out our yeah. Um. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. So that would be podcast by podcast. That's podcast by podcast. But series by series. That comes probably from, well, I definitely, we definitely pray to know where to go. Um, it's, it, it's kind of interesting because I don't think we have a method, but, um, I remember the day you said to me, I think we need to do the 28 fundamental beliefs. Sorry, guys. And I went, I think you're right. <laughs> well, that's what happened when you said, or Richard, it I think me. you guys need to do revelation. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. And I, and I then after we did the 28, you know, and when we did, I think we did Ephesians. Oh, we did Galatians next. That was Richard. He said, you guys must do Galatians. You can't leave Galatians out. So we did Galatians. And, and I was thinking, somehow, I think, with everybody talking about Sunday laws, we really have to do Daniel. I mean, it's like, we have to figure Daniel out. You and I have to figure Daniel out. We needed to put him back in yeah. our Bible, as you said. Yeah. And so then, then we decided we'd, we'd you know, Daniel and Revelation are a unit in Adventism. So. Well, when, once you get once you get moving through Daniel, is it Elizabeth who says that that Revelation is the continuation, the completion, the completion of Daniel yeah, of the Old Testament? So you have all of your previous work in your head, 
And if you let too much time, if I let too much time pass, that just kind of goes away. I'm a crammer. I study hard, but I don't retain well, which is why these you live podcasts scare me. Do. <laughs> but we also get suggestions. Mm-hmm. We had someone write and ask us to do a series on the clear word. So mm-hmm. actually that's going to publish in two weeks. Our first one will publish in two weeks and we'll do a four-part series on that. Thank you, Steve Pitcher, for your clear word research. Yes. And yes, we are going to finally be putting your book online as um, a part of our proclamation newsle- newsletter, email. Yeah, Jennifer. I have an observation and then kind of a question. So observation is that it wasn't until I really started to go to godly churches and godly Bible studies. Um, And it might be just me, but Adventism has a very different view of the Beatitudes. Have you ever noticed? And maybe it's just me, but I have found Adventists are very good at being peacekeepers. They're not good at being peacemakers. That's true. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And the biblical mandates is like, they're not used to somebody going to them in genuine brotherly love and saying, hey, you know, I was offended by this, or let's deal with this out in the open. It's all swept under the rug. Mm-hmm. And there's Passive a real aggressive. difference between peacekeepers and peacemakers. So I wondered if you could comment if you've experienced that mm. in Adventism or not, and maybe more specifically in general about the Beatitudes. But that's something that I've realized, having been out of Adventism quite a while, that Beatitudes are very different. Well, you know, I think the thing that comes to my mind first, yes, I've the peacekeeper, peacemaker thing, I definitely see that. But what comes to my mind is Adventism, and I say this very carefully, Adventism, not Adventists, you know what? We love Adventists. Why are we doing this if we don't? We love them. We know the bondage they're in. This is not about individuals. Adventism is not part of the true church. It's a false gospel, a false Jesus. It, it, it cannot, Adventism cannot save. God can save in spite of Adventism if he wills. And I've known people for whom that has happened. Dale Ratzlaff was an example. He was finally fully set free, but he trusted Jesus in his 20s as he was dying of diphtheria. And um, the Lord saved him, and he knew it was the Lord. But the Lord kept him there for work he had him to do is what I believe. Because he eventually did leave, but he had to figure it out. Okay, that was a little digression, but the fact is Adventism is not part of the true church, so the the Beatitudes can't mean the same thing to people who are not born again. It's all behavior. It's all, it's all situation management because there is no other option. At least that's how I see it. Yeah, that, that was a passage that I had to work through when I left because it looked like it was saying, if you do these things, then you're going to be saved. You know, blessed right. are you when you do this, for you will inherit this. And it, mm-hmm. the the letters in Revelation stressed me out too. The one who overcomes will get to have these things. I had to spend time with that too. And the thing is, their hermeneutic is Ellen White. There's nothing consistent in their hermeneutic. The most consistent thing is that they take everything out of context. And so it, yeah. it's not surprising that they a handled that. And a little there. Yeah. 
here a little there. And a little, you know, outside of the Bible. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I'm not used to... Okay. Um, when you mention Christ's scars that he will be carrying forever, and we will always be reminded of what he did for us, I want everybody here to think about that painting that some of us grew up with, with the little girl sitting on Jesus' lap in heaven, and she said, what happened to your hands? How is she in heaven if she doesn't know? Cheryl, I've always thought that inside of yours was profound. Mm -hmm. I've never heard anybody else make that observation, and you're absolutely right. How could she be in heaven if she didn't know? She couldn't be. Yeah, pretty picture. We liked it, but it betrayed the Adventist lack of understanding of who Jesus is and how we get to be there. If that's true, um, why, how could babies be saved then? Because they wouldn't know. You know, that's a really interesting question. Now, number one, the Bible isn't real clear about how and if and when. and It, it doesn't tell us specifically, but it gives us some hints. And my favorite example that lets, us, lets me know that God knows how to save babies is John the Baptist. Do you remember this story? Elizabeth was like six months pregnant, and Mary showed up, and God had told Zacharias that his baby would be filled from the womb with the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus, in utero, in Mary, the two of them walked into the room, baby John leaped. He recognized his Savior. That means John was a human. John was filled with the Spirit. And if God can bring to life John, he can bring to life any unborn baby or born baby. He knows. He knows how to reveal himself. And, and when David's baby died, yes. and they asked him, you know, why he wasn't grieving anymore, he said, you know, I, I, he can't come back to me. But I will go to him. And so he had faith that, that this baby was with the Lord. I think what's so shocking about the painting that, that Cheryl pointed out is the fact that it's so consistent with what they teach. Yes. In their fundamental beliefs book, they say, we're only judged on the light we're given. Yeah. So there's this implication there of this innocence that she made it based on her childlike innocence. It's, I think it's all the context that's in, in our head when we look at that Adventist painting. Yeah. It keeps Adventists from wanting to dig deeper. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Nikki, we've done an hour. Wow. Thank you, guys. <laughs> So, I just want to throw it out there. I know I'm probably preaching to the choir, <laughs> but if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, there's no time like now to throw yourself at the foot of the cross, trust him with all your sin and all your shame, and know that he died for you. He was buried and raised on the third day, and you can have eternal life now by trusting him. 
Thank you for joining us at the 2023 Former Adventist Fellowship Conference. Join us next week as we launch into the clear word.